um, we have found ourselves in a place here called Ascension Lutheran Church, and this has been a good home for us. Uh, I got an email this week, and they said, hey, we're doing a workday next Saturday. Uh, and if anyone, and they kind of sent it out to all of their tenants, I think there's five different congregations that meet here, uh, four uh, in addition to the Lutherans. Uh, but if you look outside, the yard work is a little, we've had a lot of rain, it's high growth season, looks a little scuffed up. So if you wanted to spend Saturday morning, 9 to 12, uh, just blessing this facility that we get to use and get at dirt cheap rent, so much so that they don't pay for landscaping, <laughs> shocker. Uh, come on out, bring like a weed whacker or bring something to do some kind of yard work. And uh, if you want to bring a kid, nine, nine to noon is what they said. So, well, because, yeah, that's uh, right, that's oh, right. Um, uh, also, I just want, we, we are like T minus, uh, is it two weeks, three weeks away from our community, our first ever, our first maybe annual community camping weekend. I think there are like maybe one and a half or maybe two cabins left. Uh, there's kind of two families per cabin. There's two bedrooms, two baths. There's a beautiful little living room, common area. Um, we're working on menu stuff so that we can have some collective meals, but we're, we're just going to enjoy kind of a getaway weekend where we don't get self-service to the glory of God and we get to be present without devices. Uh, so um, uh, on the eighth day, God said, there shall be no screen time. And we're like, yes, Lord Jesus. Uh, and so come one, come all. Uh, we're, we've got like a little cul-de-sac of cabins right along the Frio River. Um, if you, the earlier you can get out there, the better. So if you can like knock off by like early afternoon uh, and, and head out, it's about a three hour drive. Um, and so I'd encourage you to get out there preferably before dark because then we're trying to figure out how to like land the plane. And you know, none of us are experts at, you know, Concan, Texas, or whatever it is that the place is located. Um, and then uh, I had one other uh, thing that I was just going to, um, oh, I was just going to draw attention to. We have uh, the, the, the West Tribe has got um, a house show on the books. And it's a little known artist that you might be familiar with <laughs> named B. Sterling. It's a stage name, but uh, we just know him as B. Sterling. Uh, and uh, <laughs> um, the reason we do this is simply because we want to make faith and community accessible. And so um, Team Nelson is opening up their uh, living room to uh, a house show. So if you have some people that you'd be like, hey, they might enjoy live music or, hey, parking's convenient. Uh, but just RSVP, let Connie know it's on Saturday, November 10th. Uh, at 7.30. Uh, and so if you kind of want to be a part of that, let her know. Uh, and, and particularly if you have some friends that you want to bring because, well, B's our guy, right? Uh, and so we're pretty excited about that. Okay. It's at this time we want to dismiss all the parents <laughs> to go have a date night and all the kids have a play date with Pastor Dave. Whoa, there were some ugly faces. <laughs> uh, so I want to invite Miss Shannon 
and Miss Kathy to stand in the back and all the kids we want to dismiss you to continue on in your time of worship and teaching to line up and we're going to do a special thing tonight so that we're going to try and give you a snack on the inside so you don't have to rush back and eat all the grown-up snack so there will be a forbiddenness there there will be violence if you try and come and claim grown-up snack uh, <clears throat> but uh, let's all say together as the kids head their way and we need a response from you the Lord bless you guys as you continue in your worship one two three go well, okay try that again because there's some super quiet girls uh, the Lord bless you and you continue on your worship go nailed it Nailed it. So go pray about what you want to be for Halloween. Seek the Lord in those things. Super important decisions to be made. Uh, and we'll be good. Thanks, Kevin. Um, I am actually rather excited uh, about a series that I, I've been wanting to, I, I've had on the books for months. And um, it's really a series practically called Practicing the Presence of God. Um, but there is this ancient text that I want to explore, and it'll sound really familiar, um, and it gets quoted often, but it might not have kind of the traction in your life that I think it can. Now, let me just paint a picture for some of the culture and the context around ancient Israel, um, because it's both true then, but it's also true now. And so you probably have, if you have like a Jewish community center in your neighborhood, I at one point worked as a lifeguard at a JCC, uh, but <clears throat> the synagogue was something that would operate seven days a week. The synagogue was something all week long, it would be a community center. It would be a school place. It would be a place for the courts to unfold. It would be also, come the weekend, a house of worship. And so there was something always unfolding at uh, the temple. And so especially in ancient Egypt, the people of God, it was the hub of life. It was the Starbucks in the neighborhood. It was the place that people gathered and accessed all week long. But at the approaching Friday Eve of which Sabbath would begin and Sabbath would begin when the first three stars would appear and a guy who had the the title of Hazan Hazan well, I'll explain it a little bit more wasn't necessarily an elected official it was just one of the people in the community that stuck their hand up in the air and said I'll be responsible for organizing the people of God it wasn't one that was like, oh, you went to some kind of clerical school or you got some theological training. It was just one of the people. Oh, it might be akin to a tribe leader at Mission Hills Church. Just one of us. And so the Hazan, as the first three stars appear, would stand up on a Friday night and blow the shafar. You know the shafar that you saw, like if you watched the Viking series or if you remember the Ricola commercials? Ricola! And it would be like the swill sound. And then that meant that Sabbath had begun. Now there was a meal that would be shared on the Friday and it was the Sabbath meal. Super sacred, but people would prepare it in advance because there was this idea, and not to be legalistic, but they didn't want to work on the Sabbath. So they had their ancient version of casseroles or whatever it was, and they would bring them out pre-made, pop it out, and, and everyone could enjoy it. But what it really was 
was a way to rehearse their trust in God. It was a way to not be necessarily, not legalistic and say, oh, we can't work on the Sabbath, you can't lift so much. No, no, no. It was a way that they were going to practice being obedient to yielding in life because all of our lives needs a place that gets interrupted from the busyness, from the distractions, and even the responsibilities that comes with parenting and hospitality. So they would do this work knowing that Sabbath was coming. And then they would begin to sit down. Now, the next morning, the Hazan, the tribe leader of the group, would stand up among them and would begin, there would be several prayers, there would be some reading from the Torah. You remember what the Torah is, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and there might be some readings from the prophets. And the Hazan would begin, and he would start with this ancient prayer that's still prayed today. It's often prayed twice a day, beginning and end. In fact, they felt like it was so sacred, so centering, that they would pray it even as their last words. It would be the prayer that Hebrew people, the people of God, would pray with their children. You know, maybe you taught or were taught, you know, the one prayer, God is good, God is great, you know, let us thank him for our food, amen, or, or whatever. It was the sort of Jesus loves me, this I know song. It was the Shema. Hear, O Israel, and whenever you see, O Israel, you need to say that as he's speaking to me, because hear, O people of God, The Lord our God is one. It was a call. Now, there is this extended part. It actually comes in three distinct sections, um, and it ends up in numbers. Uh, I'll kind of touch on other parts, but for the focus of this series, over the next, oh, five or six weeks, I want to look at this first part of the Shema, because it is such, I think, a great discipline, kind of a good regimen, if you will, if we were going to exercise and grow our spiritual muscles, um, to be able to learn to understand what the Shema was in the centrality of their pursuit of God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then it began to unfold in some things that sound really familiar to the rest of us. Um, Now, let me just say a, a few more things. Now, even though the Hazan, what's the Hazan? It's the tribe leader. It's one of us. Even though that person said, okay, I'll be the one that kind of selects the passages of scripture from the Torah. I'll be the one that maybe organizes who's going to do the readings. And um, it, it might or might not be the Hazan that actually gave the sermon. But what they would do is they would stand up and really anyone was qualified to be able to reflect on how the word of God was being applied and coming alive in their daily life. Think about that for a minute. They all had an understanding that the spirit of God was at work. They all had an understanding or familiarity with the text. And so when they would stand up and read scripture, there would be anyone qualified to be able to give a word about how that might be impacting their daily life. It was their version of a sermon. Now, often the person that read was the person that would give the sermon, and the sermon was often quite short, which is mildly convicting. Makes me feel like I should maybe say amen. Dream on. I've got more to say. Maybe one example, if you're familiar with this, Jesus has this kind of 
for lack of a better term, coming out party in Luke chapter 4. Do you remember when he stood up at the very beginning of his earthly ministry and they were reading, they were practicing Sabbath together. There had been a reading of the Torah. Jesus stood up and he grabbed the scroll from Isaiah and he read it aloud and it's, and it was, I, Isaiah 61, I believe, and it was, uh, you know, come to proclaim good news to the brokenhearted, to, to free the captives, and he read this, and then he rolls it back up, and he says, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing, and he sat down. What? I mean, that was like the great, like, ancient mic drop of the day. It was like, bam, and he just walked away, and that was his sermon in a sentence. This is how this would unfold. But the Hazan would get up and organize everyone. The Hazan might or might not give kind of the, the sermon, if you will. But what they were essentially saying was that anyone in the community was qualified to testify about their Kairos moments, about their moments with God, their encounters with the holy, their, 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 their way of integrating work, family, marriage with faith as a centerpiece. And here's the thing that was so beautiful about it was that, that what they were essentially saying as a community of faith, they were even bringing the youngest members in to be active contributors, active participants in this living faith in a vibrant community. Don't miss this. What we're saying is that when we gather when we serve one another, what we are saying is that we're not just a church that we attend. We are a community of priests. Now, you probably had no idea when you like buckled in tonight and took off for church that he's going to... No. Feel that as a mantle of weighted responsibility. Feel that as a, as a, 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 a privilege. Feel that as a sacred trust. When we gather together and serve one another and we load up sound equipment and we stack up chairs, when we open our home for hospitality, when we say, who's bringing what? Who can meet me where? Can we get to supper club on time? Can we show up to a kind of a funky smelling immigrant apartment and make breakfast tacos? We are a community of priests. Church is ruined we miss the point when church becomes something that we attend or simply something that we consume because nothing a part of that is actually going to be transformational. So understand from the earliest of days, they had a way of refocusing, of practicing renewal or the presence of God, a, a way to daily reprioritize, to daily gain perspective, and it was rooted in the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. Hear, the Lord is one. Now, they were celebrating the monotheistic nature of God. And what you and I celebrate is the beauty of the, the relational instinct of the Trinity, of a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot there that I'm not going to go into at this point, but that's something to talk about later as we celebrate this sort of three-in-one Godhead. Um, what I want to do is, is look a little bit more at, uh, uh, at this scripture and the larger part of the Shema. But maybe a way to summarize this is what Henry Nouwen said when he says, we do not 
simply, let me see if I have it on there, you don't think your way into a new kind of living. You live your way into a new kind of thinking. You with me? How do you begin to train yourself to live differently? It's the difference of trying versus training to run a marathon. You're not simply going to be able to run a marathon if you just show up tomorrow morning and say, I'm going to knock out 26.2. You're like, I kind of think you might need to condition yourself for it. You, what, what he's saying is you live your way into a new kind of thinking. And, and, and maybe another way is if we decide we're going to get in shape, it actually starts with getting up off the couch or getting up into bed, uh, out of bed. Uh, um, maybe if... If in marriage there's this new way uh, to, to live, not just a new way to think, and so all of a sudden you, you get married and, and you start to say, oh, my, uh, my bank account is, is ours. It's, it's a new way to live. Um, my, my weekends are, are ours. My, my laundry, this toilet lid, it's, it's ours. Uh, and you don't get to make you decisions. You change a pronoun. And the only way to do that is when we move into, we don't get to think our way into new kind of living. Oh, if he would just understand. If she would just get it. No, no, no. We live our way into a new kind of thinking. And can I just add, I think the only way that happens is through brokenness. Suffering, struggle, tension, doubt is the great teacher. We have to embrace it. We have to own that uh, because that's how uh, a significant part of the way we're going to have this new kind of living. And, and, and I don't want you to sit in church for one year and think, I'm no different than what I was last year. There is this invitation that we're invited to, to live out this faith and, and have it be transformational in its impact. So uh, with this in mind, he, he practices the Shema. The Shema, again, was this central prayer that was taught, spoken a couple of times a day, uh, but it enables them, and I think us, to practice the presence of God. Um, and so the Shema simply calls people to listen and to obey, because real listening takes effort and it takes action. Um, so let us just read what this prayer says. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And if you're like following along and maybe you have your Bible out or maybe you have one of the notes, I would really encourage you, one of the things we want to do as a practice is apprenticing. And, if, and, and I just think by taking notes, um, this is something that can become a conversation piece. It can be a meditation piece. It could be something that kind of grows on you, add some hair to it over the week especially if you don't have a devotional practice, I make these up not just to announce, but so that you can kind of be dialed in for some uh, extended learning, but maybe it becomes something that you talk about with coworkers or, or your kids or dinner time conversation. Um, and so there's some words here that we're going to spend, and I'm going to outline the series for you, but it's here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And then he says, impress them 
upon your children. So now we have the framework for apprenticing. And he says, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. There's this picture that we're supposed to practice a living faith. And I would just add to this, I can't find in any of the New Testament writings where Jesus taught a three-point sermon. What Jesus did was make a, a, just a, a practice over, as he was going, he would see maybe a fig tree. He would see a mountain. And all of a sudden, he had a sermon to talk about. He was making these beautiful analogies, these, these, these genius metaphors out of the simple things of life. And so it is when we are inviting people to come further along and just talking about the practice of the presence of God and the difference God can and is making in my life. That's what it means to be a community of priests. That's what it means to practice spiritual leadership, particularly within the context of younger people, children, people you're mentoring. This is supposed to sound extremely doable. Uh, and so uh, they were always disciplining themselves to make God the center of their thoughts, of their life, of their motivations, of their fears, of their doubts. So that is the first part of what we see as the Shema. But for tonight, I just want to talk about the value, the need for listening. Here. Oh, Israel. It's a call to listen simply because I don't think we, uh, we don't grow without listening. And, and so when, when then are you most likely to listen? When are you giving yourself time, space? How are your antennas going up to maybe respond to the prompts of God? To yield to the voice of God? To respond without some rational argument other than, I feel like I'm supposed to because you're tuning into this frequency that is the Holy Spirit of God. It's listening to realize that God is actually at work in your family, but we might not always notice it because it feels too hard. It feels too tiresome. I still think God might be at work. It's listening to know that God's at work with friends that God is actually using your influence, that God is speaking to you about your pace, that God is already speaking to you uh, about your longings. Hear, O oh people of God, listen. How do we cultivate this kind of listening? Well, then I would just say he goes on to give us four times during the day not stopping to preach a message, not stopping to listen to a whole podcast, not necessarily even cranking on praise and worship music, but he goes on to say simply these words. There's four times a day that it can be just the most natural thing. Did you catch that? When you sit down in the evenings, I, I think of that as mealtimes, and then when you lie down, which is bedtimes, when you get up, which is sort of breakfast times, and when you walk along the road, which I look at as taxi time. There are these moments of our day with our kids, with people, 
where I want to be present. So I began making some practices because I wanted to be fully present, at least for my kids, but, not, but also necessarily for God to speak to me. So when I got home, there was this sense that I'm home now and I don't walk into the house talking on my phone because I'm present. And then I started realizing that I was carting kids around and I was on the phone and I didn't want to be. So I would put my phone down and then we would engage. Now, when you have teenagers, they, there's this thing called Snapchat. And so a threat went out to said daughter. If you don't put your phone away, I'm going to charge you an Uber rate because I'm not a taxi driver. And so we could actually enjoy being in the car together and there was more conversation that was unfolding. There are these moments where you can sit down and have a meal and phones go away and maybe TV goes off and there's this ability to stay current in your life. And we begin to reflect on the struggle and the joy. We begin to reflect on the difference that God is making and the difference we hope God will make. But that's a conversation worth having because if we instill in children that God answers every prayer, I think we're misguiding them towards a very shallow faith. We also can talk about the struggle. I'm not seeing God show up yet. I'm not seeing God hear this yet. So I'm gonna keep waiting because even though I don't feel like an answer is there, I believe God hears me. What a testimony. There are these moments for us to practice listening, both as a recipient, uh, God, what are you saying to me, and as a community of faith. And so part of why we simply gather as tribes without content, without curriculum, is simply because we want to offer up a chance to pray, practice, and express what are the Kairos moments? Who are the people that are coming into our life? What are the things that we need to come alongside and be current in each other's life? There is a way that we can practice a living faith because why? We're all Hazans. We're all just a community of priests. And God has given us this great and wonderful thing to grow, to nurture, to invite others into, to make room. To receive from. And, and I think that's what God is doing. So how does God meet my needs? And that, that's what we're asking. I, I, I was, as I was thinking about this, uh, it was a few years ago, there was a 68-year-old man who uh, has had kind of an influential voice. His name is Sam Earp. And Sam uh, and I were talking. Sam had been a missionary. He'd been a pastor. He'd been a professor. Um, and in this stage of his life, he had a lot to give. But guess what? He couldn't hold down any more ministry assignments or any more teaching positions because his wife, Norma, had developed a form of dementia where she just needed full-time care, full-time assistance. And I sat down with him, and let me just say how this was framed in. I had just met with an elderly couple, uh, or excuse me, I had just been a part of some, where this couple had been married years and years, and he was in his 80s, and he was passing away, and I was talking with his widowed wife. Uh, I had visited them at the hospice, and it was only, and then I had had <laughs> this premarital counseling appointment, which is always sort of... Um, 
not reality. <laughs> when you talk about intimacy and working out conflicts, uh, everyone's sort of um, Pollyanna about their answers of, you know, their listening skills or whatever. And then I go out and I meet with Sam. So I've had this experience with this couple that's now been married 50 plus years and they, you know, whatever, and hospice care. And then this couple that, you know, I'm working on because their wedding's coming up. And then I'm sitting down with Sam and he's describing what his vows look like in his late 60s. And he said, you know, and, 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 and the irony was we were talking about listening. We were talking about hearing from God. And of course, I was expressing my lack of hearing from God and sort of my contention with God and a little bit of my angst towards God. And him in all of his sage wisdom begins to say, you know, I, I know what it's like. Can I just share something? He says, so Norma wears a diaper and I'm the one who changes it. And I was sitting there with Norma and, and I, could, I could smell, oh, she messed, she messed her pants. So um, it's not really what you want to grow old doing is changing the diaper of your spouse, but he's in the bathroom with her, loving her because, right, till death do we part, sickness and in health, richer for poor. And uh, he, he gets her all changed and gets her all stood up. And then he's, he's, she wasn't done. And he's like, oh my God, really, really? And she's at this point where she's not always like neurons firing. So there's vague awareness, certainly not the ability to express appreciation or gratitude. So he's just doing this out of pure love and selflessness. And so he takes it off and um, as he's cleaning her up, she went right on the floor. And he said, literally, he's telling me this with tears in his eyes. God, I can't take it anymore. Do you hear me? And, of course, me wanting to be the consoling one. Sam, I am so sorry. You know, all of a sudden, all of my problems shrink. All of my miscommunications shrink. Everything that I think is hard shrinks. And he goes, no, 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 no. Like, he, he pulls the reins in on me. And he goes, no, this, this is my calling. This is what I get to do. Uh, and he reminds me how much God begins to speak. God reveals. God meets us in our suffering and in our loss. And he wanted to teach me about hearing from God as he's screaming, God, do you hear me? I can't take it anymore. Listen, listen, people of God. That is what the Shema starts, invites, teaches us so that we can recalibrate a stinky perspective. We can refocus our priorities. We can pace ourselves. We, we can renew. So I just want to ask you a few questions, and we're going to end with communion tonight, but I just want to ask you a few questions. And I would simply say, you don't think your way into a new kind of living. You live your way into a new kind of thinking. So we learn, we grow when we're listening. And the two questions of the rhythm of renewal says, what is God saying? What do I do?
How does that look for you? What are you hearing lately? Do you hear God speaking to you about an area of your life? An area that you maybe struggle to release control of? Is there an area of your life that feels more justified than other areas of your life? Rationalized in terms of holding on to? Is there an area of your life you're particularly controlling? The question is, what are you hearing lately? Maybe the follow-up to that is, what is your practice for listening? Do you have sustained time? Do you have daily time? Is there a time where maybe the radio goes off and it's just quiet? What is your practice for listening? Super important. Hear, O people of God. Listen, O Israel. And then whom do you share what you're hearing uh, and supposed to do? Again, we are a community of priests. We are the people of God. We cannot work out our salvation in isolation. I think one of the biggest myths is that faith is a private matter. No, I think faith is a personal matter. Something private is something not discussed. Something personal is shared with those that we respect, that we trust, that need to know for our sake. So what's your practice? Let me pray for us. We're going to worship and then we're going to take communion tonight. Our Father in heaven, give us ears to hear. Thank you for this ancient prayer, this ancient practice of recentering ourselves in you. Thank you for this invitation we have daily to simply say, God, I'm listening. Will you speak? Help me to respond. What are you saying? What is your practice? And then who are you sharing it with? God, give us ears to hear. Mm-hmm. Hearts to respond. Surround us with your ministering angels that we might execute your kingdom on earth. Pray this in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. Amen.